Hi everyone, welcome back to The Raw Show with Michael McDonald, another very special guest. We have Froswa Booker-Drew joining me today. Froswa, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. Froswa is a community, no, she is the Director of Community Affairs, I've made sure I get that right, the Director of Community Affairs for the State Fair of Texas, formerly the National Community Engagement Director for World Vision. She served as a catalyst, partnership broker, and builder of the capacity of local partners in multiple locations across the U.S. to improve and sustain the well-being of children and their families. So I can't wait to dive into this, but I thought we'd start with your background, if that's okay. So could you share with me and our listeners where you were born and what it was like for you growing up? So I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, and Shreveport is a small town. It's not huge, but um, when I was growing up, it was a place that um, really didn't have an enormous amount of opportunities. And so you were really close to your family. We were very neighborhood centered. And so we didn't really go, you know, as I do with my daughter now to various cities you know that that are outside of our area we just stayed kind of closed and my parents were middle class hard-working folks my dad went to college and graduated and my mom didn't finish school and so education was so important she went to college for about a year and she always instilled in me the importance of education i saw in my family a lot of women who didn't have the opportunity to go to college my grandmother, you know, finished middle school, but was one of the most brilliant and wise people I've ever met in my life. And so having that, those experiences really shaped me around, you know, family, around community, um, around education, just because of what I was exposed to. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So <clears throat> the, the education side of things was quite important. Then. How, how far did you, you actually take your, your own education? I actually went back at almost 40 years old to get a PhD. And um, it, it was one of those things that I had thought about for the longest, but decided, oh, you know, I'm doing okay and I'm working. And I had a number of friends who said, you really need to go back to school. And I found an amazing program and um, decided to go to Antioch University. They are so progressive. It was not just what I learned about leadership and change, which was the degree, but I learned so much about myself and relationships, which is what my focus was, was on social capital and how people build networks and relationships. And, and I looked at that as it related to diverse women, but that program was one of the best things that ever happened for my life. And I'm so glad I, you know, went through doing that. It was hard because I had a family. My daughter was, you know, getting ready to go to a junior high school um, and married and full-time job. And I did all of that and went to school and finished right at four years. So it was a lot of work, but it was worth it. Right. So what were the, um, the main findings at the end? So um, I'm reasonably well versed in terms of PhDs and research projects and that sort of thing. So what was your PhD on and, and what were the, the findings, if you can remember? Oh, uh, great question. So my PhD was called From um, Bonding to Bridging Using the ITC, which stands for Immunity to Change, um, to Build Social Capital. And so what I did was I took 
this wonderful tool that Keegan and Leahy out of Harvard has that's called Immunity to Change. This tool is amazing in helping you realize why you won't change. Now, it doesn't give you answers like you need to do one, two, three, but what it does is it helps you to kind of think what are the barriers that are keeping you from creating the change that you want to see in your life? And so I use the tool, which is typically used in organizational development circles, but I wanted to see if it would work with a group of women and help them build relationships. So I brought women together who were in their early 20s all the way to their late 50s and, and this group, and we used the tool as a way to talk about what their issues may have been. So we had women who were late for work and couldn't figure out why they were always late or women who had issues with weight. And through this process, they began to start examining some really deeper issues. For one lady, it related to being molested. Um, for one person, it was the, a fear of failure. So it was just amazing. But by them sharing their stories, that narrative identity, and they're telling about themselves through their stories, these women began to build trust. And as a result, they built social capital. They started networking. And what's so crazy, it's, it's been four years later, they still are connecting to each other. And they were so different as it related to race. They were very different related to religion, you know, age, some were immigrants. I mean, so they had such varied experiences. But even in having that, it brought these women so close together. And what it, for me, it helped me think about the power of stories and the stories we tell about ourselves and how stories can connect us. But it also helped me think about personal transformation. When we tell stories and we're listening to each other, how are our lives impacted by listening to other people's stories? So a lot of information for me came out of the research, but it was just a wonderful opportunity to help people, especially in a space right now that we're in that's very divisive how stories and how community and bringing people together can actually take things from being very divisive to creating unity. Right, so um, I, get, I get the impression from what you said then that um, it's almost like if you can find some common ground somewhere, then it doesn't matter what the differences are. So you mentioned like race and religion and that sort of thing. Now for, for a lot of people, that can be how they connect, right? That can be how they yes. actually find that common ground. But for the, the people that didn't have that, did you know, did you notice anything about what they actually bonded over? That's a very good point. And, and the title of the, the dissertation from bonding to bridging, there are two types of social capital. What you mentioned, bonding, connecting to people because we're the same ethnic group or because we're women or because we go to the same church, that's bonding. Bridging is how do you connect to people and link to people that are very different than you that may look different, but also may have a different ideology um, that have a different religion and how do you connect? Because in those spaces, it's the sharing of different information that we typically don't have on our radar. And that's where change can happen. It's not that it doesn't happen with people that are similar, it does. But there's an information exchange. And, and one example that was amazing was there was an African-American woman in the group and an Anglo female in the group. And they both were unemployed. And the way they experienced unemployment was very different. One was upset because she lost her title and her identity was tied to her job. The other one, it was a loss of income and being able to figure out, you know, how she's going to take care of her family. So one had influence 
and you know affluence and the other really didn't have that they were able to exchange information and help each other through that process because of different points of view and experiences. So they learned so much from one another. And these two were very different women, but they bonded because of the experience that they were going through. We had one young lady share something that was so tragic that happened with her and her mom. We didn't understand that, you know, what happened to her because it had never happened to us. What we understood was the emotion. And the emotion connected us because we thought, man, if we had been in that, we would have been scared and frightened, you know, as a child to have gone through what she had gone through. But again, it was the emotion that connected us. And so even with people being different, the emotions, some of the experiences that we had are opportunities for us to connect. Does that have anything to do with this idea of if we go through a struggle together, we bond over that? So this is why things like um, like sort of tough mudder and things like that, you know, the, the, the obstacle course races where you go in in groups and you overcome a lot of challenges as a team, you tend to, to bond more. I know I know the uh, the forces do a lot of like team challenges and, and that kind of thing because it's almost like if you go through the same thing together and as, as you mentioned there with the emotion side of things as well yes. like you feel the same emotions together and and all that kind of thing does that have anything to, to do with someone's ability to to bond with people and and have this idea of social capital well and i think to your point and those experiences the emotions are connecting you because at that point we're both trying to achieve something and so i see the struggle you're going through and if if we both are successful in doing this, we win as a team. So it's not so much the focus as competing against one another in that space. It's competing together as a team because we both win. And I think those kinds of experiences, why team building is so important is it allows people to not only look at achieving a goal, but it's a process of achieving that goal that now I don't see you as someone that's a competitor I see you as someone that is a part of, and and that changes the lens and how we operate. So how, how does this work in terms of building new relationships? So a, a lot of people now, particularly, yeah, more, more recently now, is it's focused online, and we do try to, to still bond with people on, I mean, offline now, but it's so focused online and, and sharing our, our life to, to as many people as we can, particularly with the idea that people can can become popular, I guess, or people can, yes. can follow you and, and see what you're up to and all those kinds of things. Does that have any bearing on like the the best practices for building relationships with people you know social media is is good and and then there's the negative piece to that social media can allow us to to connect to people in other parts of the world that we've never had access to but i think the challenge that we have to be careful of is that it doesn't necessarily create intimacy and so there can be, you know, moments where we get to know someone, but on social media, I'm typically showing you the best of who I am. I'm not always putting up, you know, when my stomach is upset and nobody wants to know that anyway, but I'm not showing you the fullness of who I am. 
And when we have those face-to-face conversations, I I can hear in your voice, I can see in your eyes, there's a a connection that can exist face-to-face that doesn't always happen on social media. And so um, the challenge is, is for people believing because you have a thousand followers that you really have deep levels of connection with all of those people, you don't. It's, it's not really possible for us to have very deep, you know, thorough connections with people when it's that huge of a space. So those are acquaintances. And I think it's helping people recognize the levels of relationships that we do have where there are people that you just know on social media. There are people that are acquaintances that you may see, you know, walking around and you've recognized them because you're in the park a couple of times. But then how do we take those relationships and leverage them to where they become something deeper? And, you know, LinkedIn is a prime example of that. It's a great tool for connecting to people. But if they're just out in your third, you know, sphere of influence and you don't really leverage those relationships and connections to make them not just in your first level, but that you're going to get coffee and you're learning about each other and thinking about ways that even if you don't connect, who are other people you can connect each other to? I think that's the importance of it is taking it to the next level. Um, I heard somewhere that, uh, I mean, you probably know a lot more than this than me, but we tend to hold, I think it's 150 relationships so there could be friendships or whatever the case is. These are people, as you say, that you might meet, you might know their, their first name, you might know a little bit of information, but you don't like know their, <clears throat> a lot of their deep goings on, like what, what life's like for them and your ability to relate to those people can be quite quite low. I mean, I've heard that there is a limit of 150, it could be more. And then I guess I heard, I heard this from... I can't remember who it was, but he also said that social media tends to make you closer to people that you've got no idea who they are. So it makes you bring closer to those people, but it also pushes you away from people that you would otherwise be closer with. What are your thoughts on that? Yes. You know, there is, I've heard this and I'm not sure where it comes from, but I've been told that in terms of very deep relationships that we can have, most human beings are able to do about 12 people that we can be in very close relationship with. Now, I don't know how true that is, but it does seem to, to have some validity when we think about our friendships and close family members that we're in connection to. I do agree, you know, there, there is this wonderful book by a man named Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone. And in his book, he talks about there was a time when people used to bowl together and they had all these um, bowling leagues. And, and it wasn't the fact that people were just bowling. What made it so important was people were sharing information and getting to know each other. And I think because of social media, we're not having the kinds of bowling leagues. People still do it, but not to the degree I remember watching my relatives do when I was a kid. He talks about people don't have dinner parties as much anymore where you have these small gatherings where people come together. So social media does allow us to meet all these new folks that we really, you know, talk to online. But in terms of having the closeness and deepening the relationships we have with family and friends that we've known for years, I think it does create, if we're not intentional, it can create um, distance from, from those very important relationships that we need to maintain. Hmm. Yeah. 
have you got any suggestions for people that that want to work on this people that want to try to remove a lot of the barriers that the, the online world has created you know maybe help them yeah. deepen their relationships and i guess it's hard because we do live so busy lives now yeah. that it is proven difficult but if someone wanted to do it wanted to commit to it what what could they do I think one is limit your time on social media. I think just like you have time to, to get up and get ready for work before you do the commute, how do you make sure that you limit your time on social media so that it's not all consuming? Letter writing, that's something that is a lost art that I don't think people do as much. But how do you begin to start connecting to people if you're not calling them on the phone that you use that as a practice to keep in touch with people that you may not see as often, but they mean something to you. Um, and then how do you begin to start joining organizations and clubs and associations in your community where you can meet people and begin to build relationships and even bring family along with you? So if they're community service opportunities, Meetup is a great you know, resource for volunteer opportunities. So how do you use places like that that have different events that you can bring people that you care about as well as meet new people in those spaces? I think that those are just a few of the many things that people can implement to build their relationships. All right, awesome. Well, I see a, a little bit of, I, 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 I don't want to say it tends to contradict each other, but if you go to a meetup and let's say there's like 50 people and then you mentioned that we tend to hold 12 connections. I mean, it depends on how, how deep those 12 are, I guess. I'm not sure how, how deep you went into that. I suppose it's worth, it's worth clarifying how, how deep those, those 12 are. But if you go to a, a big group, that, that might actually cause a lot of the negativity that we're seeing as well, almost like a, a face-to-face social media, so to speak. Well, if you're going to do a community service project and you're doing a cleanup in a neighborhood and you're bringing family members with you to be a part of that or your best friend comes with you to be a part of that, that doesn't preclude you from having time with your best friend as well as doing something good for the community with other people. So it depends on the type of meetup that you're going to. So I think if it's something that you're going listening to music, that may be more difficult to have the chance to have some of those conversations because of the space you may be in. But if you're doing something like a cleanup or you're going visiting kids that may be ill, there's an opportunity to connect to other people as well as bring some of the people that you care about along with you to enjoy that experience and, and, and begin to bond over that as well. All right. So it's very, very much based on what the, the meetup is and what the, yeah. the event is that you're going to. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> Are there any um, ideal scenarios then or, or ideal practices that you think would, would give people a sense of that it's actually paying off, that it's actually working, that they can feel a difference in themselves? And then we can probably dive into the, the possible benefits of this as well. Well, it's, you, you just said it, it, it's how you feel. I think if you are feeling connected to other people, there is this term in research that's called high quality connections that basically is sometimes we meet people and we have this immediate connection to them. It's like you've known them forever. And it can be people that are friends of yours that every time you get together, you're excited, you're having great conversation. How do you create spaces for having those kinds of relationships more often? And so it may be a friend that you always enjoy talking to 
how do you create the space and time to talk to that friend a little bit more where you may be talking, you know, once a quarter, how do you change that to maybe once a month? So it's being intentional around those relationships and creating the spaces to be with people that create those high quality connections for you. And what you're sort of saying there is that the, the face-to-face thing is, is number one. It's almost like you can't replace the, the face-to-face contact that you have with people. Well, and it's interesting. There's been some research that shows that when people are, you know, engrossed in very powerful conversations, that their brain patterns begin to mirror each other. So there's something to be said in terms of even our wiring that we're designed to be in community with each other. So there's nothing wrong with the online space. But it's having balance between the two where you're not neglecting the opportunities to be face to face with people and spend time in people's presence and and not allowing online media to be your only way of connecting to people. And so I I definitely want to say to people, I use social media. I think it's a great tool. I use it to get information out and to share with people opportunities for them to, to have you know, community service events and know about different things going on in the community. So it's not a bad thing. But I think it's, again, having the balance between the two that you're not, not neglecting one for the other. That, that makes sense. Yeah, I can sort of see how, how you can try to, it's almost like you can try to increase the quality of the connections that you have by taking it offline. So I know there are people that, that do a lot of online work but they also run their own events or they run their own meetups or just, just so they can bring people together rather yeah. than keeping them like, apart using the, the online world. I mean, there's, there was a bit of a, I mean, as of recording this, there's a bit of a boom at the minute in, say, videos or, or taking pictures or well, any of those sorts of things like um, live streaming and things like that using various different, different platforms and that kind of thing. We seem to be slowly bringing the human element into the online side of things. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? I think it's important because, you know, when you think about it, ba- when babies do not get touched, they, they don't survive. There is something to be said as human beings about having contact with each other. And there is a power in being able to have that. And so any opportunity that the online world can increase the, the human side is only going to be positive. Right, but that, that sort of brings in a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of ideas then, or a lot of concepts as in like when, when should people be exposed to this idea of social media? So if they're exposed too young, maybe you don't have enough of the offline connections before they go into the online connections and they realize that although they are being in front of more people, that the quality might not be so high. And can that actually play a part in, in how they develop? Yes. Yes, definitely. I mean, you, you see in, in education how online technology is allowing young people to have access to information and other classrooms that they would not have exposure to. And so there is such a positive for doing that. And then how do you take that platform and expose people to, okay, now how do you have small group work and you begin to talk to your classmates about what you just experienced? I think that, that there are so many opportunities, even now that social media can create and does create 
for people to have those small group or individual experiences. But again, it has to be intentional and deliberate. Otherwise, people become comfortable in their homes, online, on their phones, and, and it feels safe instead of venturing out and actually having the conversation with people. It's interesting because Gallup has done research about well-being in communities. And one of the things that they've noticed is, is that people that you know, are isolated and, and feel like it's us versus them, you begin to see, you know, more conflict that happens in communities. And so there's something to be said about the health of a, even a community when people are not connected to each other. Um, there's research that has um, the blue zone research is amazing to me because they found all these folks who've lived and, and they're in different parts of the world who've lived to be over 100 years old. One of the things that all of those people have in common is not only do they have a faith community that they, they are a part of, but they have an, a social community that they connect to, whether that's their family or their friends. So again, there's something to be said about even our own health what that means when we're connected to people, that there's longevity that happens, but it's also healthy for our communities when we're in community with each other. Does, does that have any impact in terms of the, the business side then? So we, we've spoken a lot about <clears throat> the idea of how we, we operate as people and how <clears throat> and how the, the social side does make a big difference and how it can continues to make a big difference. But how, how would it impact us on a, a business setting and a, a business context? That's excellent because what it helps your business to do is, one, it's starting within the organization. So how do you help your teams think about ways that they connect to people and their resources that each of your team members have? And I think sometimes we get so focused on the task that we don't really take the time to begin to know the people that we work with. And so you're seeing more and more software that's coming out. Um, AI Collaborative is one, if I'm not mistaken. There's another one called Spark Collaboration that really is looking at engagement among employees so that productivity increases, that when people feel connected in their workspace, because people spend a significant amount of time at, at their companies, at their businesses. And so by having that level of engagement and getting to know each other can actually increase productivity, but they can also share resources that benefit the company. It's, it's, it's almost like we're, we're starting to, to use the old methods, like nowadays. Like when I, when, when I sort of remember this sort of, these sort of things going back, it was about team building. It was about like, trying to, to work as a group. We did like team building tasks and we went out for meals with, with each other and we went on like holidays or trips or whatever the case is. It was all designed so that we could bond as people. Yes. Now that's that that's going back like ten years, maybe even longer, and it seems like we we've, we've almost lost touch of that almost. Yeah, it's almost like the the people that seem to be um, the best way I can put it is people that seem to be amazing at this sort of thing are simply people that haven't forgotten that it is about working together as as people in order to move everything forwards. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think. It's so simple and yet it's become so complex, which is amazing to me because I, you're right. Years ago, there was a focus on this and somewhere I think because of innovation, which is not bad. I think we should have innovation, but I think somewhere in the, the, the increase of technology um, that somewhere relationships may have gotten lost 
and we're having to think about the Im- impact that it's having, particularly on young younger generations that are coming up now who've grown up on um, social media. I didn't have that as a kid. And so I understand the power of relationships and being connected. But my daughter has always grown up in a world where there's always been Facebook for the most part. And there's, you know, Instagram and all these other social media platforms that create a sense of connecting for them that many of us just didn't have. And so our points of reference are different. I think it's going to be important for those of us who do remember to allow um, the the younger generations to know, again, social media is great, but we've got to be intentional in making our kids and younger generations be aware of the importance of connecting so that they're not having these drastic situations, which are happening because they don't have those relationships. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how I kind of feel the same way. Like when I, when I was younger, it was, it was quite common to, to go outside. And I mean, I I, I, I don't know many children that know how to ride a bike anymore. It's getting to a point where you kind of think, well, you know, are are people still buying bikes? Right. (laughs) It's uh, it's a it's, it's a bit silly, isn't it? But but you're absolutely right. I remember as a kid, the front porch, and I talk about this when I'm speaking, is that when I was growing up, my family, my grandparents had a front porch. And that front porch was so important because you could see people, you could sit out on the porch and see people in your community and you waved at your neighbors. And now we drive into our garages and we don't even know the people who live next to us. You know, my daughter was telling me a friend of hers, teacher, her school teacher had been dead for three days and no one knew it. And it's amazing that we're seeing more and more of these examples of people who are dying in their homes who don't know their neighbors, that people aren't saying, I haven't seen you in a little bit. I need to check on you, that we don't have those kinds of relationships anymore. And that's to our detriment. And you're right with kids not riding bicycles. So when we see the increase of obesity in our children, because they're not playing outside, they're also not eating well. There are other factors. But one of those is because they aren't outside riding bicycles and they're not running up and down the street with their friends because they don't know who's in their neighborhood. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to be said for for group dynamics and, and following the crowd maybe or, or you know, there's there's a lot of things that that we can talk about because it's almost like if if you don't know what to do yourself, you tend to look at what others are doing and then you copy them. Like yeah. I, I I can't tell you how many times I've gone to to somewhere that's completely brand new, like uh, it could be a cafe I've never been to, it could be a restaurant I've never been to. You know, just trying to to keep things different. My at my end you know but then you, you kind of look around and go right well do I wait for the waiter or waitress or do I order at the, the, the bar or the till or you know what's what's the actual like practice that goes on what do other people do so I can definitely relate to that on the, the day-to-day side of things but if you can imagine you being the only child that isn't on Facebook yeah, that isn't on Instagram, and you feel like you're you're missing out on on quite a lot, especially if yes. if if you've got at least I don't know, just say half of your friends on the the latest social media. You 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 keep up to date with a lot of people, and this is something that that I've sort of experienced with with other people as well. Just uh, as I go about my people watching business, you know, and you wander You're around. You're absolutely and you, right. And it's it's also quite funny because you know when when you get quite close to someone, 
right? So, but I throw out a bit of a hypothetical now. If you're quite close to someone, it could be your spouse or your partner or whatever the case is. <clears throat> there's no, there's no need for like small talk, like the sort yeah. of little little bits of conversation. You go, well, I already know what the answer is going to be, so yeah. I'm not. There's no point in asking the question, right? You get to a point yeah. where you know them that well, but you yeah. don't really ask those questions. You kind of, you make sure that you talk to them about something that's a bit more meaningful. Let's just say. Yeah. <clears throat> I find that with social media, and I know like the likes of Snapchat and Instagram and everything else, people posting like what just what food they're eating it does does get a bit just get a bit excessive at times but like if, if if let's say someone goes on holiday and they've taken pictures and they've done videos <clears throat> and you followed them on that particular platform when they come back from their holiday you don't you don't message them and say how was your holiday and get into that conversation because you've already know you've already you've already seen what they've been up to you've probably seen what people they've bumped into what drinks they had you probably know more than they can remember so so when you you, it's it's almost like it replaces a lot of the conversations but it's almost like we don't need to have those conversations because we already know so much about everybody else yeah and and that for me is you know i don't do that on social media because there, there is a boundary that I have around my life and my family. You know, I don't put up a lot of pictures of my daughter all the time because she's a teenager and she deserves her own privacy. And so I don't think that's fair. I don't put up a lot about my husband and my mom every once in a while. I put up things, but there are boundaries. And you're right. I find that some people don't have the boundaries that there is so much information that they're putting out that um, they're not having the level of engagement um, that they probably could have because you're right after a point it's like well I don't need to ask you any questions because you've told me everything that I need to know and that's interesting even for me to watch how much people will put up and reveal about themselves and I don't think you know like for me I've said to people it's not a matter that I feel like I'm hiding information they're just boundaries that I have with people in my life and certain experiences that I don't think everyone deserves to be a part of every experience that I have that there are some special people that that's our experience together. And so, and maybe it's because I'm from a different, you know, generation and see that very differently, but it's, it's interesting that you say that because I think it does create space to say, I don't need to know anymore because you've told me everything. Yeah. And um, it's, it's something that I guess I've not really thought about that much. I've probably only recently said it out loud, but it does, it does increase the, the amount that you know about someone without actually building the relationship with them like we often talk about building relationships online and and growing your communities and all that kind of thing but I think that slowly but surely we've got to have that distinction between what you know about someone and what relationship you have with them but there seems to be this this boundary that we need to establish in order so we can actually like you know just just distinguish between the two more than anything else yes agreed All right, so with this in mind then, we've spoken about, we've, we've almost, like we've sort of turned around and just dismissed the whole idea of, of social media and gone, no, no, it's pointless. It's, it's, so, so we're going to have to try and fight the corner now for, for social media and for using the, the group dynamics in order to build businesses because that's what the podcast is all about. So how, how can we use this information to our advantage then moving forward in our business? I think the important thing is, 
how do you leverage your existing relationships for your business? And so it, it's important to, you know, maintain the relationships that you have, but there is this wonderful tool that's called asset-based community development that's usually used for nonprofits, but it's something that I've helped businesses look at is how do you begin to look at these five categories in your community, whether it's individuals, association, institution, open space, and the local economy. All five of those exist in every community. And I think it's a great way for businesses to use this tool to think about how they can strategically connect to others to build community, to build their business, and build individual relationships. And I can go on and on. That's a whole workshop in itself talking about that. But you can look it up. It is an amazing concept that I think we always feel like there's scarcity and there's lack. But in all of our communities, there are these amazing resources that can help us build the work that we're trying to do, regardless of if you're, you know, have a small business or a large corporation that you're part of. This tool can help you think strategically about who to connect to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've, we've spoken about a lot like within companies and team building and social media and how we can, can use those sorts of things to to help grow our businesses to a certain extent. And this seems to this seems to draw up this idea that not everyone needs to do it. Like not everyone needs to to do this this kind of thing or we're going down a direction that we don't want to go down. I mean, is, is it for everybody or there are certain people that probably don't don't need to do this or indeed shouldn't do it? You know, I, I think it depends on the, the individual. It's hard to say that, you know, someone should or, or should not do it. I think it really depends on, you know, what what's important to you. To me, relationships are critical in business. They're critical in just our personal lives. And so I would be biased and say that I think everyone needs to look at, you know, how we build our existing relationships now. The asset-based community tool that I mentioned, that may not be something for everyone to look at to do, but I do think for companies, it's something, and, and for nonprofits and anyone who's running something that impacts people and connects to people, I think it's a great tool. On an individual level, something like that may not necessarily be great for you unless you need ideas on how to connect to someone else. All right, cool. So we've, <clears throat> we're sort of at a point now where we need to <clears throat> to maybe talk about something a little bit different. And I think this is going to be how how we round it off. So there seems to, there seems to at least for me, have this distinction between the types of things that you set, your things that you do, or the, the types of communication that <clears throat> actually enhance this idea of being social and this idea of building trust and trying to link our emotions to together so that we we sort of connect together a little bit stronger versus a type of communication that might actually reduce that. So is there anything that you can share with us about the types of communications and how that would affect um, other people in terms of coming together and, and maybe forming a community? I think face-to-face -face is going to always be impactful, but that's hard to do sometimes when you don't have the chance to go and knock door-to-door -door like I remember people used to do, you know, when they were campaigning. Social media can be a great way of connecting to people and getting people engaged with what you're doing. It depends on the audience that you're trying to use. I'm finding that a lot of folks that are, you know, 25 and under are not on Facebook in the same way that, 
you know, my, I am. And my daughter always jokes and says, it's the old people that are on Facebook. And so, <laughs> and I'm going, really? You all, you all left? She goes, we've been gone when we noticed that all of you all were coming on Facebook. And so they're on Instagram now and I will not get on Instagram, but you know, I'm, I'm noticing that different platforms have different reaches to people. I use Twitter, not to the degree that I see some of my colleagues use it, but I think that there are certain platforms that appeal to certain audiences. It's going to be important in business to recognize who is the audience that you're trying to appeal to. I don't think we have enough conversations around generational differences, even as you know, companies think about how they market to people and bring them in. I think that's going to be so important is to recognize that depending on the generation that someone comes from, it shapes the way they see the world and, and how they take in information. And so someone who is, you know, a baby boomer is probably not going to text message in the same way that someone who is a millennial or Generation X may text. So I think it's being very clear on who your audience is and developing your message to where they're going to be able to hear it. Knowing, you know, it amazes me, like I've been working with a group and they're talking about targeting senior citizens. And I was saying they're not on Facebook. There's some. But you're not going to have a whole group of people that are senior citizens who are on Twitter. Again, there may be some, but as, as you know, more often than not, it's going to require us to either make phone calls, do face to face, send letters in the mail. So I think it's being aware, again, of who your audience is and crafting the message based on their life experiences and what they're accustomed to. It's funny you mention that because um, I, I follow someone called uh, Gary Vaynerchuk for quite a while and he often says that the, uh, the platforms tend to age up at certain rates, as he calls it. So they tend to start off with uh, the, um, the teenagers, they, they tend to, to adopt the the, the nice new platform to start with and then how it tends to age up is the parents go on there to, to see what the kids are up to <laughs> yes. and then and then it tends to go go so sort of that way like I can't I mean I can't even imagine what it's like to be a, a parent and that the kids on this this new platform and you're sort of like what on earth are they doing what are they posting and all that kind of thing so <laughs> I understand what it is from that perspective but it does it does make sense because parents are our parents right and, and kids yeah. do their kids sort of do their thing and the parents have to try and keep up and, and and all that sort of stuff so it does does play a part but then as you say like not everyone is everywhere and I like I like the analogy that you use with trying to target senior citizens as well like they're probably they might be on Facebook but nine times out of ten it's going to be email it's going to be sending letters in in the mail and, and do things that you know in air quotes old-fashioned way just yeah. just in order to, to do things that are right for your business but what, what about what about best practices moving forward then? So we sort of start with what's next for you? Like, for, you know, Frostois in five years time and then sort of see how, how, how you see communication and growing communities changing over the next sort of maybe three to five years. You know, I, I think communication is, is going to change because the, the environment that we're in right now is so um, divisive, but you're noticing people are coming together. 
with the marches and things that you see happening, you're seeing people intergenerationally coming together to support one another. So maybe this is idealistic on my part, but I think we're going to begin to start seeing some shifts as this generation that's under the millennials begin to get into the workplace and how they have been shaped will shape how many of us begin to, to, you know, interact with them. And I think it's going to be very unique because this group is very different than millennials. They tend to be very, not that millennials are not, but they tend to be so socially aware and active. And so I think our communication with them is, and we're seeing that now it's changing because companies are responding to them when they're pulling ads from certain people um, because of these young people and their advocacy. So I think we're going to begin to start seeing some changes in the way that people communicate because of this new generation entering the workforce. So it's an exciting time to watch the number of generations because people are living longer to see how we're all going to have to start interacting and working together in a very different way than we have been before. And then you ask five years for me, what does it look like? I hope I'm still you know, talking with you and, and listeners like what who you have and, and connecting to folks and sharing this message of the importance of relationships. And, you know, hopefully the next book that I'm working on, I will have had it done. And uh, I'm able to, again, get out there and share this message of the power of relationships, whether it's in business or in your personal life. All right, cool. So just before we get into the, the last question, um, where can people go if they want to find out a bit more about you, Fraswa? Any links or websites or social media that you might want to spend time on? <laughs> social media, I am on um, definitely on LinkedIn. Feel free to, to look me up on LinkedIn. I have a website called Fraswa's, F-R-O-S-W-A-S, rules r-u-l-e-s.com and it's just frostwash rules and you can reach me on that website and connect to me i'm also on twitter at frostwash uh, on twitter and so it's easy to find me i respond rather quickly to folks and i'm always looking at ways of how i can share you know resources to help people think more uh, creatively about the way that they connect all right, excellent. Well, last question for you. I ask everyone this. So the the answers can range from funny to silly to serious. Depends on, on what you want to say. And the uh, last question is, what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? I love 80s music. <laughs> I, ah. am, I am stuck in the 80s. I love Hall and Oaks. I love Duran Duran. I am stuck in a time warp of music. Even though I like some of the newer stuff, I love uh, 80s music. Awesome. Well, if anyone's listening, they can probably uh, connect on on Duran Duran or or something like that, which which would be nice for sure. (laughs) <laughs> all right well thanks for being a, a guest on the show Francois. i appreciate you carving out the time and i'm sure we'll keep in touch definitely thank you so much for having me <laughs>